Hey, everybody, this is future Robert uh, speaking on this past uh, episode of Stuff to Blow Your Mind. I just want to warn you, uh, in this episode, at one point, I refer to the uh, IS Espresso machine as weighing 400 pounds. I meant to say it weighs 40 pounds. Oh, well, that totally undercuts my reaction to it. So disregard all, <laughs> all considerations given thereafter. All right. Well, that's all we had to say. So we're going to jump back in the time machine and uh, we'll chat to you again in a future episode. But continue to enjoy this past episode about coffee in space. Welcome to Stuff to Blow Your Mind from HowStuffWorks.com. Hey, welcome to Stuff to Blow Your Mind. My name is Robert Lamb. And I'm Joe McCormick. And before we got on mic here, Robert and I were just talking about our favorite coffee cliches. What do you call those sayings? Like sayings that people put on a t-shirt or in a little meme or on a pillow or a keychain fob. Like, oh, you're talking about a little bumper sticker wisdom, aren't you? Yeah, I, I don't know what the word for that is. It's not quotes, but it, <laughs> the, the kinds of text you put on things in order to be witty. Like, I like my coffee like I like my men. And then there's some joke. Yeah, sort of like, uh, I like my coffee like I like my astronauts. Uh, bold and highly susceptible <laughs> to cosmic radiation. <laughs> I like my coffee like I like my men. Uh, congested and with bone atrophy. <laughs> <laughs> that uh, doesn't make any sense, does no, it? No, no. But but it we failed. We would no, we haven't failed. But uh, of course, what we're trying to do is noble. We're trying to bring coffee and space together. And really, that's been that's been a, a, a noble mission in space exploration in general for a while. How how are we going to enable our brave astronauts to drink? coffee in space. This is an important subject, and I actually mean that. It's not uh, – this might be kind of, kind of a niche topic maybe, mm-hmm. but, but stick around because coffee in space is more interesting than you might think, and it's more important than you might think. Yeah. Uh, I mean, certainly we're going to get into some, into some cool uh, physics here. Uh, relate. Those are the, the fluid dynamics of liquids and, uh, and, and heated liquids in microgravity. <laughs> but, uh, I mean, bottom line, coffee – in the experience of having a cup of coffee is a very important terrestrial practice. Mm-hmm. And as we go into space, uh, it is, it, it's, it's good to have something like that to bring with us. It grounds us. It gives us a, a sense of calm, a sense of, of, uh, of normalcy in this highly uh, dangerous environment. Robert, what do you think would happen if you were at the same time asked to do something unusual? You had to, like, undertake a, a dangerous mission and you were also deprived of coffee concurrent with that. Hmm. Well, I would have to have uh, this. This does happen sometimes. Mm-hmm. Oh, get, really? Yeah. Like when uh, when traveling, sometimes, you know, some sort of uh. stress comes up on traveling. Uh, so what I try and do is have some sort of uh, like green tea uh, pills on hand, you know, mm-hmm. something where I can I can give myself some caffeine and and I'm not having to just chase down a bad cup of coffee in the middle of nowhere Green to get tea it. pills. I don't mean to judge. That sounds sterile and perverted. Yeah, well, there's no pleasure in it except <laughs> it can help stave off a uh, you know a caffeine headache. It can you know help keep me awake if I'm driving that sort of thing. Uh, and so if I was in outer space, conceivably. Uh, I you know I imagine I could get by without the coffee. It provided that I had access to the green tea pills, or you know, or, or whatever what other whatever kind of uh, you know additional stimuli uh, they had up there on hand to keep me alert and focused. But coffee is more than just caffeine, right? I mean, oh, yeah. that caffeine is one of the main things about it we like. We like its drug effects. But coffee is an institution of human life in many cultures around the world. 
it's not just a chemical, but it's an important texture of life. Yeah, I mean, it's it's the drinking of the coffee, and the but it's also the making of the coffee. Just the practice of making a cup of coffee for for many people, um, my, myself included, like that is a part of the ritual. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you 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 just it's part of your morning or your your afternoon, uh, whenever you you know you have that that essential cup. It's quiet. It's meditative. It makes me start to feel like I'm getting ready for the day. It's one of those things that you know. I think often we underestimate the power of simple physical rituals in preparing our mind space for mm-hmm. for activities like people think they need coffee because they need caffeine in order to start getting work done and that that is somewhat true the caffeine does something but you also need the process of the brewing and the drinking that doing those familiar motions gets you primed yeah it's the you're engaging in the story too like this is the story of the thing i must do to start working. And uh, and likewise, that's a whole other avenue, too, for many coffee drinkers, like the story of the beans. And certainly, yes, there are varying degrees of quality and varying uh, flavors for different uh, different types of coffee beans and different preparation methods, et cetera. Mm-hmm. But we also get just so into the story of them. It's like with uh, – with with the uh, with with wine enthusiasts, oh, uh, right? Yeah. I mean, th- there are some scientific studies that that kind of uh, cast doubt on to what degree a wine enthusiast can actually uh, taste various differences in right. the uh, uh, you know the, the the vintage that they're drinking. But I mean, if you put a label on wine that said tastes like seashells and sweet and low, people mm-hmm. would be able to taste that. Right, yeah. But but ultimately, it's all about the story of that wine and you're engaging with that story and it's bringing you value, you know? it's mm-hmm. uh, uh, And I don't think there's anything wrong with that. And so there's, there's that going on with coffee as well. And as we'll touch on later, there's a little of that in the story of coffee and space. You know, Robert, one of the things that you made me realize is that the the reason we actually need coffee in space for real astronauts is the same reason there's always a scene of astronauts drinking coffee in sci-fi movies about space. Oh yeah, yeah, we were we were sort of brainstorming about this. Like what what films, what classic sci-fi films uh you know have coffee drinking scenes and there's you see it in Alien from oh, 79. Yeah. You see it in uh, Silent Running from seventy two, mm-hmm. a two thousand and one A Space Odyssey. There's I've a totally scene. forgotten. Yeah, now I now I'm not so I don't remember. It's been a little while since I've seen it. I'm due for a reviewing. It's possible that they're 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 drinking tea. I'm not sure which mm-hmm. uh, characters uh, are uh, are drinking in this particular scene. But or maybe just scalding hot orange juice. Yeah, but but tea tea is very similar, of course, because tea is also checking off the same boxes: the ritual, the, uh, the you know the hot brew that invigorates you, etc. Speaking of tea, we know that at least a certain Starfleet captain loves his Earl Grey hot. But <laughs> do they drink coffee on the Enterprise? Uh, they did. They at least did. I found a, a screenshot from uh, from Star Trek Voyager. Mm-hmm. So there's at least one scene with coffee. But I'm sure there are countless other examples of characters uh, uh, drinking some sort of uh, coffee-based beverage. Uh, did the Long Ones drink coffee in the Expanse? Um, well, there is a lot of coffee drinking in the, in the Expanse. Uh, there's a particular high-grade coffee machine on uh, one of the main ships, mm-hmm. and it's it's referenced a lot. And at one point, it's broken, and mm. um, and and everybody is, uh, is is rather upset about it. But this is a show that does at least value the 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 engineering challenges involved with creating a, a proper coffee brewing device uh, for a spaceship that's going to be going in and out of microgravity. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, there's uh, this scene from uh, Event Horizon. Don't speak of it. <laughs> it features some really uh, tasteless jokes. Yeah, yeah. But but even still, 
we see this trend continuing where you have characters in, in outer space, in this just unrelatable environment for the vast majority of, uh, of the human population. Mm-hmm. Uh, you have them engaging in, in even more elaborate scenarios, encountering aliens or demons from, uh, from the, the, you know, the, the other side of a wormhole. Uh, but there's, if there's anything that we can relate to in what they're doing and what they want in, out of life, it's that cup of coffee. Oh, yeah. This is a standard part of narrative theory that you have – if you want to tell an extraordinary story, mm-hmm. you need to ground the extraordinary elements of the story in mundane things, things that make you feel familiar and comfortable in order to accent the unfamiliarity of the strange parts of the story. Yeah, I remember Umberto Eco wrote a, an essay dealing with some of this, talking about uh, coffee consumption in, I think, James Bond novels as well as another spy th- series. Uh, what was the one that they made films of it with uh, Michael Caine? What was Michael Caine's spy character? I just looked it up. It's Harry Palmer. Yeah, that's the one. That's the one. The so, hip crest file. Yeah. So the idea is you have you have this, these these spy <laughs> characters and they're doing all this uh, this crazy stuff. They go have Harry Palms for some reason. <laughs> <laughs> but no matter what they're doing, you know, if they're wrestling giant squid or, or what have you, they're still drinking that coffee, and mm-hmm. that that serves as an anchoring point for the for our experiences. A lot of horror and sci fi movies do this also with cigarettes. Oh like yeah, coffee and cigarettes I think are especially useful consumables for this narrative purpose for grounding the narrative in a kind of mundane familiarity and comfort because coffee and cigarettes are symbols of order. Hmm. You ever think about this? Like you can group food and drink and drugs into categories of order symbology and chaos symbology. Like if you had characters on a uh, on a starship doing heroin or something like that, that would that would like throw you off even more, right? It would right. sort of like make the narrative feel even more untethered and chaotic. But if you give people these drugs that we typically think of as associated with regularity, stability, routine, comfort, compliance, they're sort of signals of orderliness and predictability. And nicotine and caffeine are definitely both drugs like that. Of course, that's not an endorsement of of actually doing them. No, but to your point, like the, the order comes from far more than just the substance itself. It's yeah. the, uh, I've talked to, to people who, are, who have been smokers or mm-hmm. former smokers and I think most cases and they, they talk about how just having the cigarette it like gives them a, a sense of purpose in a particular environment. So like yes. you're standing around, um, you know, outside at a show or something mm-hmm. and the, like having the cigarette, it like kind of gives you license to be there doing something and then – Potentially engaging socially with other people. Yeah. Well, it's also a meditative ritual. Yeah. And you perform the same familiar actions in the same order over and over again when you brew a cup of coffee or when you have a cigarette. Again, not endorsing tobacco. But when you do these things, you light up again that familiar pathway in your brain. Yeah. I've been at uh, like, you know, social situations where I don't know anyone. Uh, and if there's coffee or sometimes it's you know, some other beverage, but as long as I have the beverage, it like gives me an added sense of purpose. I have this thing mm-hmm. that I'm doing. And then when the cup is empty, I still feel compelled to carry the cup around. Because yeah. if I put the cup down, then I'm just standing here with nothing in my hands. What am I doing here? What kind of a freak show am I? You need a cup in each hand. Then you feel <laughs> even more secure. Yeah, duct taped into place, right? <laughs> Edward Coffee Hands. Yes. Yeah, so it's clear coffee plays a role in in establishing these meditative rituals that make us feel comfortable in putting us in a calm mindset, getting us ready to do things, making us productive. It has all these benefits. I wanted to talk about a couple of other benefits I just found poking around uh, in, in studies on the effects of coffee that seem like they would be useful in space. 
One of them, Robert, I bet you may have encountered this, is the principle we've discovered in recent years that warm drinks make us feel social warmth. Oh, yeah. We have touched on that before. Yeah. Yeah. So the standard study, I think the original one of these was published in Science um, years ago by Williams and Barg, and it's called Experiencing Physical Warmth Promotes Interpersonal Warmth. And the basic setup is you've got people who hold a cup of hot coffee as opposed to a cup of iced coffee. And apparently what the study found is that subjects who were holding the hot coffee, quote, judged a target person as having a warmer personality in terms of being more generous or caring. And also people holding the hot coffee were more likely to choose a gift for a friend instead of for themselves. Hmm. And I've read uh, there are subsequent studies on this that look into things like oral temperature and all that. It seems generally that hot beverages encourage positive social connections. And we can certainly see the value of that just you know, in an office environment or out on the street. But certainly in space, uh, you have a, a, a team that's having to work together uh, to keep everything running, to keep everybody alive, mm-hmm. sometimes an international team. Uh, this co- the coffee and or tea can be a unifying force. Exactly. And so this effect may be there with other hot beverages. I mean, sure, you could also have people hold and drink hot water or scalding hot orange juice, but people already like hot coffee. They already have hot coffee rituals. So why not try to give them that? I got another one. Okay. Have you read about how coffee apparently seems to give you some kind of advantage in causing the brain to recognize emotionally positive stimuli? Huh. Yeah, so there was a study in PLOS-1 in 2012 by Lars Kuchink and Vanessa Lux called Caffeine Improves Left Hemisphere Processing of Positive Words. So basically what they found is that uh, caffeine consumption boosts the speed at which the left hemisphere of the brain recognizes and processes positive words but doesn't have any effect on the processing speed of neutral or negative words. Hmm. And they think this is probably because caffeine seems to boost uh, dopamine transmission in the brain. The uh, Ohio State professor of psychology, Gary Wink, who has written a lot about the connection between foods and neurochemistry, writes that basically the dopamine activity uh, caused by caffeine is probably one of the main reasons that caffeine is one of the most widely consumed psychoactive substances across the entire world. And so to go back to the PLOS-1 study, uh, the, the authors think that the dopaminergenic qualities of caffeine are what's leading to this uh, increased positivity boost in, in the processing powers of the, you know, the, uh, the, the verbal processing centers of the left hemisphere. So at a time when you need people to work together as a team, get along well, have everybody happy with each other, it seems to me like boosting the recognition of words and other types of cues that signal positive emotions sounds like a good deal. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Anything you can do to boost the positive communication. Right. Anything that would help assist the processing of at least some cues of positivity in our environment seems worthwhile in space. And of course, again, you could just have people take a caffeine pill probably. Right. Yeah. Uh, But people already like coffee. They already have coffee rituals. It seems like you can you can get all of these different effects concentrated into one thing if you just get coffee in space. So is is there a problem with coffee in space? Why can't we just take Mr. Coffee up there? Well, uh, it's only occurring to me now that there is the whole diuretic uh, aspect of coffee. (laughs) But that's a. That's that's a that's a whole uh, another episode right there. Yeah. Um, well, you're thinking about that while I'm going on about positivity. You're like oh, pooping, yeah. Well, <laughs> I, I didn't think of it till uh, till till now, to be honest. But uh, but I mean, that's a whole 
side of uh, the human condition that is also uh, problematic in uh, in microgravity. And a lot of engineering uh, prowess has been uh, directed at the problems related to just going to the bathroom in space. Right. Uh, l- less effort has been put into the coffee problem. Coffee problem is, is not as, as high level. But the, the, the problem of making coffee in space is that pretty much all of our methods uh, of, of brewing coffee are highly dependent upon ga- on gravity. Oh, yeah, yeah. And so we're you gonna, don't even think about how important it is. Yeah, yeah. Like even so, uh, like just roughly speaking, there there are two methods of making coffee. Like one that's using that's straight up using gravity, like water flowing down through grounds and then uh, brewing the coffee. Uh, and then you have methods that involve pressure, mm-hmm. uh, like an espresso machine or uh, or or an aeropress, uh, which is a, a, a device I really love for my coffee. Um, I've never used that. How does that work? Well, it's a, it's essentially like a, a cylinder. It has a filter on one end. You put the grounds in. You pour hot water in, and then you use the the plunger. You can let it steep a little bit too, so you know it's so it's similar to something like a French press mm-hmm. in that respect. But then you compress. You you press it. And the pressure uh, pushes the you know, the coffee out into your cup. But even that, even though pressure is involved, like that would be a disaster if I tried to use that in microgravity. And likewise, even a, a, a very nice espresso machine, which looks very compact and uh, and self-contained, you would not be able to run that in orbit because, it, it, yes, it depends on pressure, but it still mm-hmm. depends on gravity. Yeah, maybe a little bit porous if uh, if you don't actually have such a thing as a down. Right, and then if you have no such thing as a, as a proper kitchen sink to clean any of these implements, uh, I think most of us can, can, can think to very recent examples of huge messes they've made with coffee. You know, but <laughs> by accident, maybe in the cleanup phase. Right. Uh, and that's all with a down. That's that. Yeah, that's with gravity in place and a proper sink to clean it up. But in uh, in uh, aboard the ISS, uh, certainly abo- aboard any other kind of, uh, uh, you know, c- conceivable um, uh, capsules or or shuttles that we've used in, uh, in recent uh, decades, you're just not going to have that kind of cleanup capability. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the, the machine itself is going to just become grotesque. And you can't just send it back down necessarily either. Uh, uh, I mean, if, once you get something up on ISS, it's, uh, it needs to stay up there for a while uh, without having to be, You can't send it down every weekend to get it cleaned. Now, what about the method where you just put the grounds in your mouth and then squirt the hot water in and kind of swish it around? Well, I guess that would work. Is that what is is that cowboy coffee? No, wait. I'm I'm going to rebrand it. That's executive coffee. Executive coffee. Uh, so now it's a luxury item. Well, there's still a lot of room for human error in that mm-hmm. method. Um, I mean, basically, one of the big things to keep in mind is that even if you take the technology out of out of the the scenario, uh, without proper gravity in place, liquids move differently. They absorb differently. And, uh, yeah, even something as seemingly no-nonsense as an aeropress, which, again, just looks like a little pump device, mm-hmm. is just going to be disastrous in microgravity. Now, the basic process that we depend on to make coffee, just to, to really boil it down, uh, you have hot water flowing through ground coffee beans, picking up their oil essence on the way down into the coffee pot. This coffee oil released during the roasting process is what we call uh, cafe oil. Now, in, uh, like I said, an espresso machine, that's going to force the water through the fine grounds via pressure. But again, even that depends on gravity and would not work in space. So we're kind of left with, uh, with quite a, a conundrum here. How, to, how do you even bring coffee into space, much less brew it? Well, maybe we should take a quick break and then come back and explore this further. All right, we're back. So how to get coffee into space, how to brew coffee in, in space. Well, um, we're going to have to talk about the past first, how, how it was done previously. 
uh, as we uh, as humanity uh, uh, clawed their way up into orbit. Uh, does, does this involve the words freeze dried? Yes, you bet it does. Oh boy! So first of all, let's get uh, one thing uh, straight. Prior to Apollo eleven, that's uh, nineteen sixty nine, the first crewed uh, jaunt to the surface of the moon. Mm-hmm. Uh, prior to this, there was no hot coffee in space. Bummer. You could have it cold, but this was the first uh, mission to actually feature hot water. Oh, so so like the Gemini commanders mm-hmm. were on they were they were powered by cold coffee. Yeah, that was that was the only option. That's sick. <laughs> or at least room temperature or capsule temperature coffee that was the the only option. Well, here's a science question I don't know the answer to. Maybe you do. Why is mid-temperature coffee so disgusting? Like, iced coffee's okay. Mm-hmm. I'm into that. Hot coffee's good, but, like, slightly lower than than warm coffee is just gross. <laughs> well, I don't completely agree with that. Uh, really? Yeah, I mean, I enjoy coffee at every level of, mm-hmm. uh, of, you know, every temperature. But I think the problem is when when coffee reaches room temperature. Because I... I I like cold coffee, mm-hmm. but I have a similar uh, reaction if I am outside drinking coffee and I have allowed it to become cold, as cold as the natural environment. Mm-hmm. So I think that's the thing. Like with hot coffee and cold coffee, it becomes clear that it's been it's it's clear that it's been prepared uh, uh, to, at a different temperature. Yeah. Well, I guess maybe the same is true for a lot of foods and drinks, right? Like, yeah. like hot meat and cold meat are good, but room temperature <laughs> meat is not great. Bring me a, a room temperature hamburger patty. Yeah, <laughs> no, no, nobody really wants that. So hot coffee, cold coffee, uh, pre-Apollo 11, post-Apollo 11, uh, it was still – coffee making was a, a very rough-looking ordeal. So what we're talking about here, uh, as you referenced earlier, is uh, is dehydrated black coffee, freeze-dried, stored in a clear plastic bag, which you then reconstitute through a water probe. Okay, so you stick the probe in and pump some hot water in. Yeah, or you are, or you 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 have your water reservoir in the, the capsule or the ISS or where, wherever you happen to be, space shuttle. Uh, and if you have the ability to have hot water, you can use hot water. Otherwise, you're just getting cold water and then you're shooting it into this bag. Uh, it basically there's some pictures of this online. I'll try and link to one on the landing page for this episode at stufftoblowyourmind.com. But it looks kind of like a catheter with instant coffee in it. No, I'm afraid to ask, but I have to wonder, is the bag that the coffee came in the same kind of bag they would pee in? Was it the same hardware? Uh, I do not have an answer to that, but I I would not be surprised if it, if it was, you know. But when it comes to liquids in space, I mean, that's pretty much how a lot of it works. It's yeah. just stuff in bags. It's Every, bag city. Yeah, everything looks like a catheter in space. Um <laughs> So this was the technology, and really this technology remained the same until very recently. Instant coffee in a bag. Uh, And and it wasn't actually until Hawaiian-born astronaut uh, Ellison uh, Onizuka, the first uh, Asian-American astronaut, uh, he actually requested Kona coffee. He said, hey, um, let's spice it up a little bit. Let's, let's, Mm -hmm. you know, we have some great coffee uh, in my home state. Let's see about getting some of that into orbit. And NASA said, oh, yeah, we can try that. And it was apparently a hot commodity. Uh, I mean, literally, I guess. For, uh, but also figuratively, uh, the, the Kona <laughs> coffee would be something that they would uh, they would trade with uh, with say uh, you know with, uh, other astronauts, uh, even cosmonauts. Yeah, especially knowing what we know about the way the microgravity environment interacts uh, with say the fluids in your head. Uh, we've talked before on the show about how you know astronauts often have this problem where 
they live in a taste and scent deprived world mm-hmm. uh, because when you are in a microgravity environment, normally uh, the gravity of the earth while you're standing on the earth would be pulling all the fluids in your body toward your feet. Mm-hmm. And your heart naturally has to compensate by for that by pumping really hard to get stuff up into your head and your upper shoulders and everything. But when that gravity is not there and you're just floating around, the heart's still overcompensating. And so it's just filling your head up with fluids and you've got all this congestion and you can't you can't smell or taste things very well and this is why so many astronauts like when we talk to Jeff Hoffman on the show report really enjoying especially the shrimp cocktail yeah. which sounds disgusting yeah you know but, that that shrimp the shrimp itself is just awful yeah but it's but not the shrimp he's excited about it's got horseradish in mm-hmm. it and that intense aroma sort of clears out the nose, wakes you up, and allows you to taste other things. So they would sort of have a shrimp cocktail full of horseradish as an hors d'oeuvre so they could taste the rest of their meal. <laughs> uh, yeah, and anyway, a, a spicier, more fragrant kind of coffee, I can see that maybe doing a similar sort of thing. Yeah, yeah, I think so. Um, and uh, I've also seen it pointed out that that astronauts tend to – they'll crave spicier and more flavorful things in orbit than they would normally uh, crave on Earth. Right. It's an extra special reason why you don't want to just be stuck with freeze-dried Folgers or whatever they've got. Right. Now, uh, we've, we've touched on a number of other uh, fluid dynamics uh, and microgravity issues on the show before. We talked about how tears pool in an astronaut's eye socket if they're they're crying or just generally leaking from the eye socket. Mm-hmm. Um, the sinuses refuse to drain. Uh, one of my favorite is the the fact uh, that uh, the, the bladder fills up, but uh, but not from the bottom to the top as it does in a gravity bound body, but instead from all sides. Ugh. So it's it's not until it's completely full that you suddenly that you realize you need to urinate. That's a weird image. Uh, blood flow is also an issue, and this was a, this was actually explored in the third season of The Expanse, the mm-hmm. uh, science fiction uh, television series that uh, I've. I've talked about here on the show before, um, including earlier when I referenced their coffee maker. Where, the, but there's a scene where you have all these individuals that have sustained internal injuries, and it's they, everyone realizes that they're just doomed because they they don't have a chance to heal uh, unless they have some sort of artificial gravity, be it propulsion based or some other form, or just re- return to some sort of uh, a gravitational environment. Now, why would that be? Why would it affect healing? Well, I looked at a, a pa- I looked this up in a, in a paper. There's a, a paper from 2009 titled uh, Severe Traumatic Injury During Long Duration Spaceflight, Light Years Beyond ATLS. Mm. Uh, so here's a quick quote from that article. After a prolonged exposure to weightlessness, the injured astronaut will be at a, a physiologic disadvantage compared to patients on Earth. Changes likely to impair their ability to withstand injury include reductions in circulating blood volume, reduced red cell mass, uh, cardiac atrophy, dysrhythmias, reduced cardiac output, alterations in vascular tone and neuroendocrine function, loss of the protective bony mass, and possible immune suppression. Oh, yeah. We've read about that before, too. Yeah. The immune system in space. Yeah. So it's, I mean, you, you, again, you can't help but think of that espresso machine. Now, no matter how well it's designed, it's just useless uh, in microgravity. It's really a testament to, uh, you know, the, 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 to to biological evolution, just how well... Uh, life can do in a microgravity environment. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, th- th- we're not, say, like the, the mythical Japanese kappa uh, with a little bowl of water on its head. Right. It would just float free and they'd lose their life essence in orbit. But all of our earthly coffee machines are more like the kappa. That's true. They have the uh, the, the engineering prowess of a yokai. <laughs> 
It's true. But wait a minute. We were talking about drinking coffee in space. Oh, yeah, yeah. And and having to go uh, urinate in space. Uh, you know, going back to that urinary example about the bladder filling up from all sides, uh-huh. uh, the, the, uh, the fluid dynamics des- that we described there also impact such matters as fuel tanks. Mm. So again, in microgravity, without gravity to force liquids to the bottom, they cling to surfaces. So our spaceship designs depend on veins, sponges, screens, and channels to guide liquids uh, in, on the in, in the in, inside of tanks. Mm-hmm. All right, say guiding them to a spigot or to an engine in the case of fuel. Uh, now we've also experimented with the use of liquid repellent coatings inside fuel tanks as well to avoid cling and uh, and the the boil off that can occur in the tanks. Mm-hmm. And this is research that's very much still ongoing. There was uh, one study uh, that came out just last year on the matter. Now, fortunately, the astronauts do not need to drink from the fuel reserves. No, they they just they drink out of a straw or just sort of uh, squeezing out of the bag, as you might imagine. Everything is essentially a Capri Sun, I guess, in orbit. As I said earlier about your green tea pills, no offense, but that is a sick perversion of nature. You can't <laughs> drink coffee with a straw, not hot coffee. Indeed, drinking hot coffee through a straw, that's just asking for trouble. Well, I mean, it's uh, it's actually part of the ritual again, if... If the importance, the psychological importance of calming rituals like making and drinking a cup of coffee, it depends on minute repetitions of movements. Mm-hmm. The sipping is an important part of the ritual. Right. Yeah. You've only you've essentially only met me halfway. I'm still left with this ridiculous consumption method that does not resemble my rituals at home. But boy, howdy, sipping in space ain't easy. <laughs> is there a way, Joe? Do we have a way now? There is a way. Ah. So my source on this is a 2011 piece in NASA Tech Briefs, which details the development of what was then known as the Zero-G Cup. And this cup was the work of Donald R. Pettit of the Johnson Space Center, Mark Weiselogel of Portland State University, and independent consultants Paul Konkus and Robert Finn. So given the physics involved, if you're in, say, the International Space Station, how would you drink from a cup? The odd thing about trying to drink from a cup in space is that the main problems are not even necessarily the problems you're thinking about right now. Because you would think probably, okay, if there's no gravity holding the drink in the cup, it'll just float up out of the cup into the air, right? It's not that this couldn't happen. Uh, It certainly could given the right kind of forces. But generally in space, fluids like to stick to surfaces. If you've never watched, say, uh, videos of astronauts playing with water in Mm -hmm. space, this is one of the things you'll first observe is that the water tends to not go off on its own unless you kind of like force it to by like flinging it. Otherwise, say you take a wet towel and you try to wring it out in space, what you'll see is that the water gathers around the outside of the towel like this undulating liquid worm around the towel. And, And that's generally how things go. The liquids want to cling to surfaces. And this is because surface tension and capillary action rather than gravity dictate how liquid behaves uh, in a container or on a surface. And so if you had a regular cup of coffee in space, imagine a mug that's got coffee in it, Mm -hmm. you would probably have a hard time sipping it because what do we do in order to sip coffee from a cup? We tilt the angle of the cup. We tip the cup and lower the lip relying on gravity to keep the liquid level the same and eventually drive the liquid over the edge of the cup as the angle of the cup's lip goes down. But the coffee won't do that in space because you could turn the cup completely upside down and the liquid would probably stay in it. 
trying to cling to the walls of the container. So in this environment, sipping is dang near impossible. You have a few other options. If you've got coffee in a cup, you could suck it out with a straw, or I guess you could just – another suction option would be you could clamp your mouth over the top of the coffee cup <laughs> and create a seal and try to suck the coffee out that way. I think that would work, but that's not really what people want to do with their coffee. Yeah, that's a very inhuman uh, uh, scene to try and imagine. <laughs> Uh, you could try to use momentum to get it out of the cup, basically throwing the coffee out of the cup at your mouth. That's not <laughs> a good option either. So if you don't want to burn your face or do any kind of conehead-like uh, mouth movements. Oh, my God. I just realized, like, that's another huge thing. If you had a piping hot cup of coffee, uh-huh. it's just going it, to – and it gets on you. It's going to cling to you. It'll cling to you. This yeah, is it won't one of, fall off. Yeah. yeah. I mean, this is one of the reasons that the, some of the worst things to be scalded by are, are what? They're, they're viscous or they're something like a noodle. Yeah. Because it, it doesn't just splash you and run. It splashes and clings. Exactly. So, yeah, you, you don't want – piping hot coffee getting out of control (laughs) out into the environment. Uh, So these are not great options. So the solution that these engineers came up with is to design the interior surface of the cup to take advantage of the way fluids behave in microgravity in zero-G environments. And so the zero-G cup uses sloping sides that encourage the coffee in the cup to gather toward the lip of the cup through capillary action Hmm. uh, because the shape of the cup is basically always causing any liquid in it to want to gather right near the lip of the cup. And then the astronauts can essentially put their mouth at the lip of the cup and kind of suck the liquid. So uh, they can drink with a more or less normal sipping behavior. Nice. So they kind of designed the inside of the coffee cup like it were the inside of a fuel tank. Yes. And so it's not always possible to get every single drop of liquid out of the cup. But, of course, as we know from our earthly coffee cups, uh, once the water or the liquid level gets down to the very bottom, there's usually a few drops left in there. You can't get out even with the help of gravity. Hmm. Uh, Now, one thing they pointed out about it is that – so if like a tiny – drop of coffee gets stuck in there and it dries there, the residue can upset how the sides of the cup make the coffee behave. So essentially, if it doesn't get cleaned out right, it'll stop working right. Huh. Uh, so so that's one thing is you got to make sure it gets cleaned. But yeah. So it's rather different than your typical office environment where some coffee cups will be sort of a, a science, an ongoing science experiment. Have you ever been the passive-aggressive person who washed somebody else's coffee mug? <laughs> I don't think I've I've gone that far. I, I, I sometimes – I've been known to tidy desks a little bit if it's like obvious that there are, say, multiple empty uh, uh, Diet Coke cans or something. <laughs> I'll be like, that's a little much. Or like an obviously rot, rotting fruit. But but then again, I'm, I'm sometimes hesitant because I'm like, I don't know. Is this a neglected orange or is this really a science experiment because – the How Stuff Works offices are exactly the places where something like the sort of place where that kind of thing could be happening. Well, maybe we should take a break. And then when we come back, we will discuss the ultimate coffee space solution, the IS Espresso. All right, we're back. It is it's the 21st century. Uh, bring bring me technology. Yeah, we, we have humans in space. We don't have uh, any we, we haven't been back to the moon. Mm-hmm. Uh, we haven't uh, sent people to Mars or Venus. As far as you know. <laughs> well, I, it, I know. 
<laughs> I'm going to go ahead and say I know for certain that hasn't happened. Uh, but we have come up with ingenious solutions for putting hot coffee in people's faces without burning them or uh, making them clamp their mouth over the top of the cup like a conehead. Right. And it, it, is, it, it truly is, joking aside, it is a testament to human engineering that we actually have an espresso machine that functions in orbit and is functioning in orbit right now. It's pretty awesome. Yeah. It's called the uh, – they call it the ISS Presso. So <laughs> – it's the ISPRESS. I'm not Cute. sure exactly how we should uh, we should we pr- should pronounce it on the show here. ISSpresso. ISSpresso. Because then it ends with the S. Espresso. Yeah. I, it's. I think. It am I overthinking it here? It definitely works better um, reading it in your head versus speaking it aloud. <laughs> but uh, but yeah, this is so. This is the device. Some of the key design challenges here, of course, as we've discussed, come down to water containment and sanitation. You want to keep the heated water contained. It can't just be leaking out all over the place, uh, and uh, and, it, and it has to do its thing with the with the the, the, grind, the grounds as well. You want it to absorb the exact uh, you know correct amount of oil as it passes through at the correct temperature. Also, you're going to have a big problem if your machine is difficult to clean. Yes, yeah, it, it basically has to be self cleaning or just a very uh, clean process to begin with. Mm-hmm. You can't again. There's no kitchen sink that you can take the thing apart in. At the end of the day, there has to be a better way. Yes, and uh, and there is. So, as detailed in the uh, in, in the write up, ISS Presso Development and Operations by Valerio Ditana and Joshua Hall, published in the Journal of Space Safety Engineering in 2015. <laughs> Italian designers at the uh, engineering firm ArgoTech worked with the Lavazza Coffee Company and the Italian Space Agency. Uh, and they set out to conquer all of these challenges and bring uh, a new kind of coffee into orbit to to create what ha- we've come to know as the ISS Presso. Well, I hate to just openly celebrate cultural stereotypes, but I'm glad it was the Italians who made it happen. Yeah, it, it feels right, doesn't it? And I think they realized it too. They said, look, somebody's got to step up and make coffee work in microgravity, and it, it, it should be the Italians. Mm-hmm. So the, the finished result is in many ways a kind of super Keurig cup machine. Okay. Um, it looks kind of like a 3D printer as well. Um, nice. Uh, if, if you look up images of it. So here's what the, the device does. Pretty straightforward except, you know, highly engineered. You add the water. It heats it up. It shoots it through a prepackaged capsule and into a pouch, which uh, then is either consumed from a straw. That was the original design. Mm-hmm. Or uh, 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 now is actually uh, added to our special zero-G cup. Well, that sounds nice, but that also makes it sound very simple. I suspect you're skipping a little bit of detail. Yes. So, th- th- yeah, there are a number of details here. Uh, it's more complicated than it sounds. Uh, for starters, you still have to hit some key temperatures to make a proper cup of coffee. Oh, yeah. So it needs to hit uh, – the water needs to hit the grounds at 208 degrees Fahrenheit or 98 degrees centigrade. And it needs to leave the brewing unit at 167 degrees Fahrenheit or 75 degrees centigrade. This is a home coffee-making tip. If your home coffee machine makes bad coffee, it's very likely that the reason for this is that the water that's hitting the grounds is not hot enough. Mm -hmm. One easy way to find out if this is the case is to just see how your your coffee that you normally use tastes if you just add your own boiling water in like a free filter and pour it over. Sometimes makes a huge difference. Yeah, I mean, and that's one of the reasons, one of the many reasons I I only use like AeroPress and French uh, press these days. Like I just uh, I heat the water up myself. There's no question about how hot the water is. Now, one of the things about hot water in space, though, in microgravity, steam bubbles don't evenly distribute. The bubbles can form together and create pockets of hot air 
that can potentially damage the machine the machine and the users. And that's why the ISS machine here uses steel tubes instead of rubber tubes that can resist pressures greater than 400 bars. I'm just now thinking for the first time, wouldn't it be a horrible story if there was like a fatal disaster on a spacecraft and the cause of it was the coffee machine? It would. I mean, but it's it's the kind of thing that is possible yeah. uh, given uh, given the, the constraints of the environment. I mean, there's it's a reason that there are so many uh, it's a reason there are so many additional safety requirements for anything that goes up, any device, especially that goes up on the ISS. So everything from sharp uh, edges to the touch temperature, etc. Mm-hmm. Um, so they, they not only had to design, in a sense, the perfect coffee uh, maker here, the perfect espresso machine, but also one that just managed to hit some of the the, the, the pickiest safety. Uh, 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 demands uh, uh, humanly uh, possible. So how big is this hog? It is a 400-pound machine. Uh-huh. <laughs> and, uh, and, and I, I, didn't, uh, I didn't do the breakdown. I mean, we've, we've done the breakdown on, uh, on, on, the, the, on, on how much money it really takes to send, uh, you know, certain, Orbital payload cost. Yeah, yeah. orbital payload. I, I didn't do that breakdown on this particular machine because ultimately <laughs> who can put a price tag on a proper uh, espresso in orbit. That is, we should say it is not cheap. Not each, cheap. Each pound you take into orbit, even low Earth orbit, is is expensive. Yeah. So uh, it was uh, sent up on April 20th, 2015, uh, thanks to SpaceX. And it is, uh, as of this recording, still in operation. It produces, uh, it has a few different options. So you can produce uh, a short black, a long black. Uh, you, you can make tea with it. Which is good because not everybody that goes up on the ISS, especially, is uh, is going to be a coffee drinker. Sure, tea is more popular with other cultures. Totally true. Yeah, and then also you can use it to make broth, so oh. it can be used to rehydrate food. And I think this is this is this really you know I think makes a light bulb come on in many people's head when you realize oh well, it's not just a coffee and tea maker. Right. It is a it, it is a, a multi purpose kitchen uh, implement as well. It's how you make your uh, shrimp stock and court bouillon on the ISS. Yeah. So uh, here's a quote from uh, the paper I referenced uh, from uh, Ditana and Hall. Quote, one of the big challenges undertaken by the engineering team was to design the ISS Presso as an ISS system and not only as a payload and extending the ISS Presso functionalities and capabilities. It does make espresso, which can provide a psychological benefit to the crew that is away from home for months at a time. But it also has the ability to expand or modify the crew menu. The ISS Presso can make teas as well as consomme. These additional options provide flexibility to the crew menu that is not currently available. Uh, Again, this was as of the writing. It had not yet gone up. Mm -hmm. Uh, For example, a dish of rice may have a variety of broth added to it for different tastes. And they uh, they also point out what we mentioned already that astronaut tastes often change uh, in in, uh, in microgravity due to fluid buildup in the head. So they may prefer more spice, more flavor in orbit. So the uh, so the options with this machine give them that flexibility. Oh, that is important because so let's say you have astronauts taste testing food before they go into orbit mm-hmm. to try to see okay what am I going to like once I get up there, but you. The way food tastes to you on Earth is not the same way that it's going to taste to you once you're up. Yeah. So you're going to want to have options, and this machine provides them. No, I want to be clear about something I said a minute ago. I was making jokes about the 
the costs of putting the coffee machine in space. But I think stuff like this matters. I, I am a pro-space exploration person, even considering the costs, because in many ways you could argue that at least as a contingency, space exploration is the future of humankind, potentially for from a colonization standpoint, but at, at the very least from, say, a an exploration, research, and planetary protection standpoint. Yeah, and and certainly the engineering problems involved in making espresso, as we've we've laid out, are not confined just to coffee making. Oh yeah, uh, they, they 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 impact everything from uh, from fuel systems to human biology. So mm-hmm. uh, so it's not it, everything's interconnected when you're talking about uh, the ISS or or any kind of a prolonged space mission. So speaking of the future, Robert, tell me about the future of coffee in space. Well. My read on all of this is that you know, this is the machine for oh, yeah. the for the conceivable future. Um, I think we're gonna. We, you may see different versions of it, mm-hmm. but I think this is the the one that's going to stick for a while. I mean, because it, uh, it it's it's been engineered to do the thing we want it to do. Plus, it also can reconstitute food. I don't think you're going to see the technology evolve beyond this. Really, you know, I mean, like this is this is kind of the perfect coffee maker. Well, wait a minute. What about artificial gravity. Okay, well that that would change everything. If because you're going to have people they're like, "All right, I've been I've been on this uh this lengthy space mission. Uh I love the ISS Presso, but I really want a proper pour over, which is impossible." Mm-hmm. To do a pour over, you would need some sort of artificial gravity. Right. Now, now we've recorded an episode in the past where we talked about the two main conceivable methods outside of just magic gravity. Uh, the, the two main methods that could be used here. Yeah, the ones that are feasible in reality. One of those would be linear acceleration where you've got a uh, spacecraft, whatever you're inhabiting, constantly accelerating at exactly the right rate to generate a force pulling you toward the floor at the same rate as Earth's gravity would accelerate you toward the, the ground on the Earth, which is, I think, 9.8 meters per second squared. But that method is only good on the way to wherever you're going. So you could have your pour over yeah. on board this barreling spaceship. But then when you uh, when you were, were uh, reaching your destination... If you, you need to decelerate or something. Yeah, yeah, then it's either go back to the ISS Presso or flip go back around, to the catheter. I guess. I don't well, know. No, well, the, yeah, you could flip the ship around um, like halfway. Uh-huh. So you spend half your trip accelerating, half the trip decelerating. Uh-huh. But then what happens when you get to, you know, the planet that you're orbiting? Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's tricky. Well, anyway, the, the more stable method that people usually talk about is uh, the centripetal force mm-hmm. method, which essentially involves a rotating habitat. Uh, because as you know, like if you take a bucket of paint and you spin it around really fast in the air, you can hold it sideways and the paint doesn't pour out. And that's because of forces driving the paint and the, the bottom of the bucket together mm-hmm. uh, because of the spinning the spinning angular momentum. And of course, the same principle could be employed in a spacecraft or a space station if you have it spinning. And it's the right size and the right spinning at the right speed. It'll generate a force pulling you toward the outside rim of that spinning wheel or spinning capsule or whatever. And you could feasibly stand on it, pour coffee over on it, uh, make a court bouillon. (laughs) So you could have, in theory, you could have a spaceship with a a rotating torus that does nothing but enable coffee uh, preparation. (laughs) Like it could just have a Mr. Coffee machine on it and that's it. It'd be the most expensive Mr. Coffee in the history of humanity. <laughs> but hey, it, you know, it really matters to have a kitchen with a down, as we've said, not just for coffee. I mean, there are a lot of things that if you are dealing with a kitchen, you're going to be dealing with containers of liquids and stuff like that. It, if you can have a down, that would be great. 
Now, that, of course, you could also try and get one of those uh, Event Horizon uh, gravity drives. And if you had one of those in place, then you could probably brew one hell of a cup of coffee. Where we're going, you won't need a mouth to taste. <laughs> <laughs> that's good. That's good. Now, the one thing you want to avoid, you know, you want to get some cream in your coffee probably because you don't want it so black uh, that light cannot escape it. Uh, <laughs> it's just going to be pro- that's gonna be a problem. That's how we create a black hole. Exactly. Somebody brews the dankest cup of coffee <laughs> in history up in space, and that's how that's how it all ends. Brewing for centuries while the crew is in hypersleep. <laughs> Robert, this has been fun. This has, uh, and and I think I managed to finish my uh, oh, almost finished my own cup of coffee while we were uh, podcasting here. I finished mine too, except a little tepid sip here at the bottom. Am I going to drink it or not? Mm, my my sip was was a little chilly, but it was actually the air conditioning in this room has made it uh, cold enough that it did feel like uh, like it was um, like cold brew coffee. I'm here contemplating the riddle of existence. Will I swallow it? You should. Yeah. Okay. Here we go. Yeah, wasn't very good. <laughs> so there you have it. Uh, coffee in space, a great opportunity to talk a little bit about fluid dynamics and microgravity and uh, some wonderful human uh, engineering uh, uh, feats of achievement. So uh, before we close out here, we're just going to say uh, the usual. If you want more Stuff to Blow Your Mind, head on over to StuffToBlowYourMind.com. That's where you'll find all the episodes, including such episodes as our microgravity episode, which will get... Uh, which gets very in-depth on some of these uh, topics that we uh, we briefly discussed here today. You'll also find uh, links out to our various social media accounts, such as Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And as always, if you want to support the show, the best thing you can do is to find us and rate us and review us at wherever you get your podcast. Huge thanks, as always, to our wonderful audio producers, Alex Williams and Tari Harrison. If you would like to get in touch with us with feedback about this episode or any other, uh, to let us know your favorite kind of coffee, what what brew you would drink in space, uh, to suggest a topic for the future, or just to say hi, let us know where you listen from, you can email us at blowthemind at howstuffworks.com. For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit HowStuffWorks.com.